Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round. Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round. Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round. Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round. Mic check one two one two. Mic check one two one two. What's good, everybody? It's your boy. Marquez P. Davis, creator, and I guess I can add host to my resume now, of um, the new but very provocative podcast, Teach Him Podcast. I just want to welcome back all of um, the listeners who have um, tuned in for episode one, tuned in for episode two, and now you're back for a third fix, and I cannot wait because the individual who I have the pleasure of um, having this discourse with is... A really, really great person. His name is Sterling Grimes, and he does a lot of different things. But what, uh, what, what, what captivated me the most about his involvement is the fact that he's the executive director of programs for the um, Black Male Educators for Social Justice. Um, it's an organization. It's called the, the Fellowship. Um, the Fellowship. Yep. The Fellowship, and it's a Black Male um, Educators for social justice um organization and i thought that was deep so you know the premise here um at teaching podcast is to provide a platform to black male educators who happens to be a marginalized group of people who we don't have a real perspective from so this is the platform to tell the untold stories of black male educators and just black men in general so i'm excited to have my brother uh mr grimes on Teaching Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Say what's up to the people. What's up, people? How you doing? Excellent. That was that was that was great, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, the the conversation that we're having today is one that I feel is very timely. One because um, the fellowship just had their annual conference, um, and I heard a lot of feedback from it, and it was great. And I actually had planned to attend, but conflicts with work and scheduling and travel. Um, wasn't able to um, make it this year, but I will be there next year. Sterling's going to help me get on a panel or something so I can share um, pieces of my perspective and experience. But um, <laughs> if I had a nickel. There you go, see? Uh, but the conversation today is going to be one that needs to be had, um, especially in the time of year and the time that we're in and just in, in our country. Uh, we're We're approaching... Um, a big election season, or we're in the midst of a big election and voting season. Um, we see we're seeing a lot of really strong um, candidates who happen to be black, who happen to be woke, and who happen to be, happen to be real leaders in their you know in their proper right, um, stepping up to the plate and really gunning for these amazing positions that will really help make a difference. I believe many of them are transform transformational, excuse me, leaders. Um, but, yeah, the conversation today, Sterling, is talking about social justice. We're going to touch on, we're going to start very micro, um, just talking about it from an educational standpoint. But I want to take it real wide, broad, macro, and talk even, you know, global, if we can. Um, well, fair warning, I dropped my econ major, like, second semester freshman year, but I'm going to do my best. We won't even get into the whole econ, but uh, <laughs> aspect of it. But we'll 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 get deep up in there. But before we get to the topic, I do 
want to uh, let you know and um, remind some of the listeners who've been traveling with us that um, here at Teach Him Podcast, we have something known as um, the symbolic apple. And um, historically, this apple um, in foreign countries, but way back when, um, poor families used to um, bring baskets of apples to their children's school and provide and present it to the teacher as payment for them providing a, their child with an education. These are families who, you know, weren't very wealthy. So they're providing whatever valuable resource they had as a, as a um, gift of gratitude. Um, at, at Teaching Podcast, we use the idea of the symbolic apple to kind of represent what we as, um, as educators, as influencers, as leaders um, give off to the world, what our gift and is to the world. Um, so for me, and just and honestly, not only just the world, but just people that we encounter on a daily basis as well. So for me, um, my apple represents voice and vision. Those are two. Those are two values and two um, gifts that I like to leave with people, if nothing else. What would you say your apple represents? What is your apple? Uh, so when I think about the apple, it's so funny. I actually picked up. <laughs> I went to Whole Foods to get a real good apple today, actually, because, um, <laughs> you know, they got the real shiny ones there. Uh, so when I think about the apple in my head, I see myself and I see my kids and we're holding that apple together. Um, since I started teaching, for me, the conversation always was this isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about us. Like we're going to get through this thing together because there are certain things that I have the ability to teach you. And there are certain things that you have the ability to teach me. Um, and, and not just the ability, the responsibility. And so this is a relationship. This is a, a mutual um, collaborative effort that we are venturing on together. And so if I'm lifting this apple, it's only because you're doing it with me and that in, because we have one another's back in this. So for me, I think the apple is really about support. Uh, the apple mm. is about community. Uh, the apple is, is really about the bond like, that I think about creating in my classroom it's what kept me in the classroom for eight years. And so I can definitely say for me, it's really all rooted in, all rooted in those relationships. Excellent. I think that's really dope, bro. I really do. Um, so let's get into it. Um, again, what, uh, what stood out to me about just your extensive resume and all the great things that you do um, is the fact that you serve this um, organization, the Fellowship for Black Male Educators um, in Social Justice. Why social justice? Why social justice in education? So, really, if we think about the idea of education, like, first and foremost, education is social justice work. Uh, so, liberation and freeing particularly our kids, but all kids in general, from the systems that have really held this country captive since its inception. And so if we're thinking about education, uh, we are thinking about social justice. In our world, those two are the same thing. You can't have one without the other. Um, mm -hmm. And so for us, the two mean the exact same work. Hmm. It's ironic because episode two was called yes equity matters and i believe that's exactly what you just touched on when you gave me that blurb like you can't have one without the other this they're supposed to be uh existing in the same vein absolutely so, 
and, and we say, and you know, and I think that's the biggest fight that we're facing. It, well, one of, well, that is the biggest fight that we're facing in education today is that whole conversation around equity and what it looks like. Everybody has a different perspective and idea of what equity looks like in general, just in the, in, in the grand scheme of things in, in our nation. But definitely when the conversation becomes a little more focused and it talks about what knowledge is going to govern the success and the abilities and the propensity, propensities, um, I didn't even say it right then, propensities of um, our scholars, especially um, with a really, really um, special focus on black and brown scholars. But yes, I won't even slide back there. <laughs> but so social justice and education and the organization empowers black men in, yes. this, in this fight. So our work is really rooted in a couple of areas. We mm -hmm. think about black men in education, and perhaps you've heard this, this stat, uh, but in America, only 2% of all teachers are black men, right? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. same number exists for Latino men as well. Uh, and so we are definitely having similar conversations in that regard. Uh, and so for us, we are thinking about how do we increase that number? And that conversation starts way earlier than the educators that we have currently in, in classrooms. Uh, research already tells us that having a black male educator leads to a number of positive outcomes for students later on in life. Having mm -hmm. a black male educator between grades three and five means that you are more likely to finish high school. You are more likely to consider a four-year college university as an option. And so there are doors that are open simply by our presence. And so when we do our work, we're not only talking about the guys that are in classrooms or leading schools or even leading systems. Uh, we're talking about middle and high school students who may or may not have even thought about education. Uh, that was me. No one ever told me, yo, Stir, you'd be a really good teacher. You should consider education. That was a last minute idea I took on the fall of my senior year when I was like, you know what? I don't want to continue working for the government because that job is low key boring and I don't really get anything out of it. Let's take a leap for a little while while we figure out what we do want to do. And that ended up being like my life's purpose. And so we support high school students who are just feeling out career options and maybe considering education. We do our best to expose them to what it means to be an educator. We support college students, current classroom teachers on through that career path. So our push is that no matter where you are in that pipeline, we do have resources and support for you so that this work becomes something that you can see yourself in and that you can sustain over time. Mm. So definitely making sure that we're filling schools with more um, black educators for future generations to benefit from. Absolutely. Powerful, very, very powerful. So I know that um, the fellowship is a professional membership and activist organization and um, like advancing recruitment for the field, um, development and even encouraging retention and helping influence that within the black male educated population is a lot of what you all do. And it's focused in the greater Philadelphia area, correct? Yes, by and large. So Philadelphia is our model city. That's where we are currently based. Uh, but we have a national network of membership. And as of this year, we have 35 states that were represented at our last um, national conference. And we have a number of partners that we are going to be working with in the spring out on the West Coast to start building out the work um, over there. So this is a local issue as much as it's a national issue. Uh, and so we see conversations happening literally coast to coast about this work that we are now engaged in. We're really excited to further the impact. Got it, got it. Okay, so I wanna, I wanna, I wanna take it 
um, a step further and ask, what is your why behind even getting involved in the social justice um, aspect, more specifically, um, of education? I know we said we we talked about them having to exist, um, you know, synonymously. However, if we were to isolate the two, why why the the focus on social justice when it comes to education? Hmm. Well, I will do my best to to parse the two because, quite honestly, in my head, they they mean the same thing. Education yeah. is social justice work. It is the dismantling of those systems of inequity um, that your second episode talked about. And so, mm-hmm. for me, the social justice point is really recognizing that education is the you know quote unquote like great equalizer. Um, I do mm-hmm. think that that is true, with a couple of caveats and with a couple of conditions that we need to ensure go along with it. Uh, But at the end of the day, yes, education is what does unlock opportunity, particularly for black and brown students who have a ton of odds stacked against them at birth. And so for me, the social justice aspect is really about how we use education to its full potential and how we right the wrongs of our country uh, in the only way that we'll ever be able to do so. Uh, We have to really shift the narrative of this com- of this country, and that's only going to happen when a critical mass of individuals in this country are ready mm. to make that step. And if we're looking at the previous generations, no shade, mm. but shade, like they ain't ready for it. They they they've nah. taken the torch as far as they could. We saw what our yeah. grandparents could do. We saw what our parents could do. Now our generation, our fun little you know millennials that ruined everything from marriage to divorce. Which I was like, how do we do both? But cool, um, <laughs> like. We are the ones that are, are taking this next step that says, you know what, we, we're not doing this anymore. This, this concept that America has to be this way or that we're going to operate as if these different classes of society exist only when we whisper about them, but we're going to continue saying that everybody's equal. Like, no, bump that. We're going to pull the wool off of people's eyes. We're going to call out the fact that that's wrong. That's racist. That's homophobic. That's transphobic. That's classist. That's ableist. That's trash. That's problematic. And we're going to fix it. And the fun part about it is because of the place we were in generations. And I just had this conversation the other day. Like we are at this fascinating point where we have the reckless abandon of the iPhone generation that says, like, I can have an idea and make it because I like wanted to and sheer force of will got me there. But we also have the constraints of our parents generation that said, here is a path. Here is a plan. Here is a way to get to something. And so if we put those two together, we have this place that says, I can dream as big as I want to, and I also can put structure behind it to make change happen. And I think that's why we're the generation that's going to make that shift that says, you know what? Our kids don't have to live the way we did. Our kids get to choose what they want for themselves, and those opportunities will be afforded to them the way that our constitution, the way that our national values, the way that hell uncle sam himself guarantees to everybody supposedly like nope we're gonna we're gonna cash that check in so i'm i'm here to get that work done i had a conversation two days ago um because again you know we're in the midst of a very critical um electoral season um and many people are watching the polls closely and really trying to see what's going to happen because we're looking and anticipating a shift um in some regard but I was told that education is what screwed up our parents' generation. Um, I guess as it as as it pertains to the decline that we've seen in like social um, 
like just social act- action and social change, um, the decline that we uh, realized, and even like participation in the or in, like just the movement of the black vote after the the really hard '60s, and um, you know just having over five million African American people show out to the polls. I was told that education broke that momentum. That because conversation, um, well, I was told that integration and education broke that whole entire spirit. Because when we were able to integrate, our conversations had to assimilate. And when our conversations began to assimilate, our voice was then, of course, silenced yet, yet again. When, when we were teaching our own folks, you know, the truth was what it was. Um, do you believe that, um, one, education helped to break the momentum that was the Black voice, the Black vote, just everything Black um, in the most positive and progressive way? Um, and secondly, do you think that still, do you think that um, factor still attributes to the, I guess, the, what, what we see today? in terms of like um, participation, just in anything in this regard? Uh, hmm. Well, now I'm gonna be a poli-sci major and, and split the issue and speak on both sides of it. I'd say it. there's definitely a, a piece of that um, as, as one part of the conversation. So we could make a number of arguments about why the discourse, the engagement, the activism has lessened over time. One could easily just say like conditions got better and people kind of rested on those laurels of like, hey, no one is outwardly calling me a nigger to my face and forcing me to go to a different water fountain. So what do I really have to complain about? Like, yet to a degree, I think that's a part of sort of what happened in the social consciousness. Um, Integration also definitely changed the game because if we look at historical odds and numbers, like that was the real beginning of the decline of teachers of color in classrooms. Because of integration, we saw the deliberate uh, forcing out of black teachers because those schools were continuing to see less funding as a result of children being pushed into integrated spaces. And of course, those were going to be the spaces that you know whites wanted for themselves, which meant schools that had high black populations were going to see less, less resources. The less resources you have, the less teachers you need, the less teachers you need, the less teachers you hire, the less teachers you hire, the less teachers that exist in the population. Um, and so, yes, integration is definitely a piece of that puzzle. I think we, can't necessarily blame integration and isolation because that's a part of a very complex system um, Mm -hmm. that had a number of factors influencing it beforehand and a number of factors that sort of came out of it afterwards that continue to exacerbate the problems we see today. Uh, So I would say, yeah, definitely a piece of the puzzle, uh, but not, I think, in and of itself indicative of the decline that we see today. Okay. Okay. Now, what is um, what is the reason behind the decline? Uh, hmm. So I would say reasons, multiple. Um, again, I think it is that sort of we got lazy as as a society. We said, like, you know what? We, we yeah. beat the problem. And, and that's that's not yeah. an individual. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, racism is over. And, and this is how you get to the, you know, all lives matter no, conversation like... now. <laughs> that's what's what up. Was I said they were sitting play on that. Nigga, we made it. Okay, well, you're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> like that's and that's where all lives matter comes from, right? Like, oh yeah. 
I'm not racist. I'm literally, I don't, I don't think it's right to, you know, call you a nigger and discriminate. Therefore, how can I possibly be racist? Like, well, yeah, like there's no outward aggressive, like KKK hood. Well, I mean, now there is welcome to 2018. Right. But like right. up until 2016, that wasn't something you could just like see walking down the street and, and expect to be normal. But that is one piece of the puzzle. We're also seeing a number of other like quieter, more sort of like latent issues that became a part of the, the conversation. So after we relaxed on the like outward racism, what we started to do was recognize or perhaps not recognize that certain other systems were still in play, that redlining, it still had an impact on communities, that the way that our funding formulas for schools were placed at the state level totally impact the way that we see our students and the resources available to them play out to this day. Looking at where I'm based in Philadelphia, our funding formulas are based on property tax. If you look at property taxes, the places with the lowest property tax bases, the most rural areas and the most urban areas. So we're having Philadelphia and these like very, very rural counties struggling the most for resources when their kids need it more than the suburban areas that are seeing these very high property taxes, which is why their schools consistently outperform. They have more resources available. And we can get into all the numbers about why that is and why that isn't and, and the caveats, because I am guarantee you there'll be 20 people who will say, well, that's not the only reason and that's not actually what it is. Um, that's, a, an, again, another piece to the puzzle. I think we're also seeing conversations play out on the, like, personnel level um, the mm -hmm. conversations and the fights that we have between actual districts teachers unions communities parents students themselves like those conversations are always fraught with a lot of tension around what is needed where our priorities need to lie and the fact that there are not enough resources to go around and so we're constantly having 20 hands grab for 10 things uh, and, and at the end of the day no matter what happens, it's the kids who will lose when we don't choose to put those resources at their best disposal. Um, and so yeah. if we're looking at the decline and why we don't see the activism, well, yeah, our schools lost their ability to like, have a specific enemy to fight this outward racism. And then when we tried to course correct the problem, we then gutted some of those schools of their resources, which meant a large population of our students did not receive the kind of training and value indoctrination that says like hey you need to still be engaged in these issues and that community organizing is an effective way to have your voice heard and to change policy we then saw our schools have to fight for resources against other schools in the very same state mm -hmm. just to make sure that they could survive and all of a sudden you're now getting these partisan fights on the political level and yeah. the, the real shade of it all is the fact that these rural areas that tend to lean conservative and these urban areas that tend to lean liberal actually have a shared interest in working together on this issue because they have the same problem, this lack of funding. So if we could like set aside the sort of like, here's the red side and here's the blue side right, conversation, right, right. we might be able to purple it up a little bit and get something done. But exactly. now we're taking education and putting in the middle of 20 other issues on a political landscape that mean that we can't have the conversation because we can't sit down and talk about education if we're not also ready to talk about reproductive rights, if we're not also ready to talk about gun control, if we're not also mm -hmm. ready to talk about mental health, Medicare, mental all health. of these other pieces that these sides have to fight for. And so education can't be this one rallying cry.
And so at the end of the day, why are these problems happening? It's not one thing. It's a full system of inequities. It's a full system of issues that we don't have the ability to sit down and solve as a collective. Or at least we haven't yet. We're on the way there. I have a burning feeling in my spirit that we are on the way there. Um, I am, I can, I, I think one of the main reasons why I keep my social media platforms um, is so I can be constantly reminded of um, like where we've, where we've come to and like, you know, just keep it in mind where we're going. Yeah. I see this generation, the ones who you say, who you said earlier, ruin both marriage and divorce um, <clears throat> as the, um, as the renaissance to our ancestors' wildest dreams. I really, really do. And um, it's, 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 our generation is filled with some real bold and um, real heart fighters. Folks, um, I have always underestimated us, but like these are people who dare you to do that type of thing because it's just an opportunity to really, really make it known of you know, what we can do. Um, I'm excited. There's, I, I'm filled with excitement. Like I'm, I, there's a lot of angst within me as well. A lot of angst. However, like I think it's 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 definitely partnered with a lot of excitement and um, anticipation of what is to come. Looking at the ballots and looking at the candidates, like what is happening? What is you know what's there's an awakening of something going on. Um, that's something that I'm sure of that I'm positive um, about, but. How soon? How soon will the awakening really, you know, be seen, noticed, and come into fruition? No, no man can tell the time. We don't know. But I'm excited about what I see. The conversations, as you said earlier, that are being sparked are necessary, um, and they're pushing envelopes. They're 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 shifting a lot of things. They're shaking things up, and a lot of people are getting nervous. A lot of people are getting nervous um, on like a po- from from opposing sides. Um, but out of the conversation that I had. Um, which sparked the initial um, question that I asked you. Um, There was another, um, I guess we can't, there was another point that was made like, well, maybe if it wasn't education, how about black men? Maybe they're the reason for the decline. Maybe y'all are the reason um, that people are just sitting on their ass per se. um, When there's, there's, there's things out here to be fighting for. Um, if you look back in the 60s, is what I was told, and this is what this is where it became interesting. If you look back in the 60s, black women were were very um, instrumental in making sure that the black men were taken care of and were doing what they needed to do to be on the front lines to fight for this freedom that we take advantage of every single day. Where did y'all go? Hmm. Can you define the effect that you feel black men can bring? to the political climate just through engagement alone in this country if we only would show up stronger. Now, I will warn you, this conversation has the very, 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 very good potential of taking a quick turn and talking about the establishment and the breakdown of the Black home. So I want us to stay focused. Oh, we're good. I I don't have an agenda on the breakdown of the black home. I don't think there's a, a secret agenda to dismantle the black home. I think there's a very open agenda against black men. Um, 
we can look at that in a number of places, uh-huh. you know, mandatory minimums and in, in criminal justice uh, mm-hmm. or the lack of criminal justice, perhaps I should say there, um, and a number of, of other areas. Um, but I think first, I think it's important to recognize that a lot of this narrative is based on and has has placed a lot of this sort of responsibility for raising black men up on black women, um, yeah. which is important to acknowledge. Like black women have always supported black men. Black women have always supported pretty much everybody. That's the only reason this shit show of a country is held together by the barest of seams is because black women stand in the gap at every single turn. Um, and so I just want to be very clear about that one. Yeah. Two, I think we're looking at a different time period and we're looking at mm-hmm. a, a time when these, you know, highlight black figures, particularly black men are not going to be what leads us into the future. So we had the Kings and the X's and the Evers and the Lewis's and the Newtons mm-hmm. of the sixties and seventies as these highlight figures nowadays. And this is a conversation I had recently. It was like, well, who are the, who are those people of our day? And I was like, actually, you know what? We don't have that. They're not these like singular figures that rally and unite the entire black community behind them. And I think that's actually a really good thing. Instead of these like individuals, we need to start focusing on these coalitions. So the communities that fall under this black diaspora that all need to work collectively are really the focus. And I think that connects to the conversation you've been having about equity and the way that the political climate is starting to change. The Andrew Gillums of the world, the Stacey Abrams of the world, like these kinds of individuals are taking their states by storm because of the coalitions. They've been able to take on not just black voters who are like, yeah, I'm going to support, you know, my homie, but they're also taking on women who recognize, you know what, we need to look at this different. They're taking on middle-class voters who are saying, you know what, these policies from the past are really not working for us. And that's what's going to start to shift the narrative. Uh, And so when we look at how do we bring black men into this picture and and what does that look like and and what's the impact? Well, I think one, our first benefit is simply perspective. Quite Mm -hmm. often we make policies and and the we I'm talking about here is like the the system system. uh, makes policies and operates as if, Blackness in general, um, and then specifically black men, like aren't a part of the equation. So we, you know, have these mandatory minimums and these aggressive drug policies since the Reagan era that have criminalized and marginalized and destroyed like black communities for decades. And then 2011 shows up or something along those lines that we say like, oh, never mind. Actually, like white people... Let's turn marijuana into a profitable business, all good. If it's that all good, why are we not releasing all of these people that we've put in yeah. jail for these same crimes? If we're going to simply say now, like, actually, it's state sanctioned, it's cool. We'll it. JK, like, you, you, we, so we not giving out mulligans? Like, we not, because really what you're telling me now is that you just reneged. And as far as I've been raised my entire 30 years, you don't ever renege. But America, you're reneging right now. And, and I have a problem with that. And so I think one perspective is huge here, recognizing like, hey, I'm just going to, as a black man, help you see your blind spots uh, because maybe you just you don't have the capacity to, you know, turn your head a little bit and recognize some some I almost said some shit, some stuff you missed. Like I mean, you just said it. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, All good. This is this is a combo. All good. This is this is me in my in my classroom bag, too. I'd be like, don't tell the principal I said shit, y'all. They'd be like, you said it again. 
Um, so, <laughs> like, one, I think that perspective is is super critical. Two, when we bring black men back into the picture, I think we also start to have a conversation about impact. Yeah. So, we spend a lot of time recognizing, I think, in in the most modern of days, like the impact that black women have had. But if we talk about the way that that plays out in terms of impact back on them, like how do we seem to reap the rewards of, of the work that they put in? We never get anywhere. Um, and a lot of that is because of privilege. And so if we bring black men back into the picture, it is our responsibility to use the male privilege that we have to ensure that we are taking care of our full community, women included. And so that spills into the Me Too movement and recognizing yeah. that we need to believe women when they say that this is my experience and these things have happened. We need to be able to check our own misogyny and toxic masculinity mm -hmm. and the ways that that plays out, particularly on women in our community, but also against other guys and our boys and the way that we train and develop them into being men. Because everybody out there that wants to be a black male educator is all about like, hey, young king, Every, everybody's a king nowadays. Like, that's so crazy. We love calling our little black boys kings, but nobody teaches them how to walk with reality. Nobody yeah. teaches them decorum. Nobody teaches them that there is a responsibility that you have with that title. And so you mm -hmm. cannot walk around holding a crown on your head while being a criminal. Like, you, you just can't do, but, well, I mean, <laughs> there are some people in this world who have shown you that it's possible, but if we're going to go back to, like, the actual way that that's supposed to go, like, nah, nah, Slim, you can't, you can't do both. So... I think second, we need to make sure that we are using the privilege that comes with being a man to be able to say like, hey, let's shed some light on other issues that matter and let's get something done about them. Because uh, otherwise we're just continuing to talk and dialogue is good. I think dialogue helps shift perspective. It helps unlock some things that we just haven't considered before and opens our yeah. eyes to issues that we do need to investigate further, but we can't stop there. It's not enough to just say like, hey, you are a king, you are black royalty, you your, you know, melanin, you Wakanda context, forever. Man. Like, hey, like that's all well and good. Yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, if we're not changing your life for the better, if we're not getting something done that gives you opportunity, that allows you to choose success for yourself, like we, we, we wasted everybody's time. And so yeah. I think men have to be able to do those two things. And so when we put men back into the picture, when we put black men back into the picture, we get that perspective, we get to use that privilege, and we get to force impact to happen. I totally agree. I totally agree. That is definitely the um that that's that's how you define the impact and the effect of black men and what we bring to not only the political climate, but definitely just to the holistic picture of everyday life. Um that that level of privilege and having the ability to be so influential. Because even the most influential woman as we as you just alluded to, you know, was um was 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 um stopped short due to her being a woman and lacking that privilege and um I'm excited to see the day where privilege is also something that exists at an equilibrium across the board um because i think i I definitely think our black women are deserving of that um for sure so when it comes to the black male vote, talk to me about that. what is your perspective? Um, because people are nervous, especially in this election. Um, we're, 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 you know, we, we, we pulled just as a race, as, as a people, we pulled record numbers, like I said, back in 64, um, did it again in, um, 
with 60.8% turnout. Uh, 2012, we went up even more, 62% turnout. But um, we slipped up 2016. Um, folks aren't necessarily sure if we're taking um, this upcoming election as serious as it needs to be. Where do what, what what role do we play in that? Even in the midst of the climate of the world and the nation that we're in, how can we, as black men, still take a a um, still assume a role that would allow us to be influential, that will allow us to be those who are mobilizing and pushing people toward the polls, allowing us to be once we put our hand on a piece of the narrative and begin to transform it and really uncover what it's supposed to be and be the, you know be the be the people who are serving uh, as the vessel yeah i think first you just you do it like show up like i think and this narrative isn't specific to black men i think it's it's a general like american habit like we the constitution guarantees and we fought for with amendments and a decades-long struggle to ensure mm-hmm. that you had this very very simple but very very effective thing voting like register and do it like it's it's literally not that hard like people spend more time and more energy and more money on Fortnite and 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 shoes like Fortnite, dog take take the 20 minutes to go not even five minutes away because that's the way a voting precinct works it's local stand in line if you if you happen to have to stand in a line because i can tell you i voted in every single election since i was able to vote and i've the longest i think i waited was like seven minutes and Mm -hmm. like you've waited in the same line for some chipotle play on your phone for seven minutes and then go and click the daggone buttons like stop playing with yourself so one i think it's literally just about showing up like we have to stop pretending that it is somehow like inconvenient or that it is somehow like not going to matter it doesn't matter when you don't do it like that's that's literally what that is if you don't do it it doesn't matter you do it it matters um yeah so one i think we have to to just like show up two I think it's really about taking it to the next level for those of us that are in a position to be able to show up and do more. So I recognize everybody doesn't have that privilege, but for those who do like use that. So if I have the space to make sure that someone else is able to register, I'm going to do that. That's why I made sure that I held a registration drive so that students who had just hit 18 were able to go ahead and sign up. And it was simple. I just sat down with them, made sure they filled out the right parts. And then we mailed them off to the voter registration spot. Like that's one step I can take, but that ensures that you've eliminated a barrier for somebody who may not be equipped to do that for themselves. So find the ways that you can do that part. Find the ways that you can engage the people in your system to talk about these issues and say like, you know what? You can have a say in that. Because I mean, and I, I do believe this to be true, like all politics is local. If we are going to start changing these larger systems, we have to have the people that are most directly linked to us be in a position to advocate for us. So if I'm sitting here and I can't tell you like, oh, yeah, I know the guy running for the next like state representative seat in my district. I can tell you his name is Malcolm Kenyatta. Like I, I know who he is and I'm going to I just sent off my provisional ballot um, this morning, actually, because I'm going to be out of town. So I sent my absentee ballot in. Um, today like I if I don't know those simple things like I can't expect the president to be able to fix my issues yeah Uh, because like yes the president has a a wide range of powers and can do more good in a day than most people can do in a decade but the trickle down of that is going to take so much longer than me being able to talk to somebody that I directly know 
who is directly in tune with my issues, my community, my neighborhood, my challenges, who can start saying, like, what do we need to do right here at home? Because that's how I'm, the work that I do every day is happening. We're not going to the Department of Education and asking Betsy DeVos, hey, can you make it a priority to put black men in schools? Like, I'm not going to yell at a brick wall and expect magic to come out of it. Like, no. But I am going to go to my local school board. I am going to sit down with my superintendent. I am going to sit down with the principals at my high schools in my community and be able to say, like, hey, what if we started programs here? And that's how we started. And then three years later, we now have national recognition. I had 1,100 people at my conference last weekend. I've got half of them already asking me what's the dates for next year. And I'm like, wait a minute. I got to sign a contract with the hotel. Give me a second, guys. Like, the, the work that we're doing is about starting at a local level that has impact on people every single day. Yep. And letting that take hold. We can't just expect that the guy at the top is going to figure it all out for us. So those of us who are sitting here right now and have the time and the space and the knowledge and the energy and probably the money, like do something with it. And so when we talk about like, oh, what is black men's role or what are we supposed to be doing or or the black decline? Like, nope, these are the ways that you hold on to your power, black man. Like stand up and do something because that's what they did in the 60s. The this magical heyday that we talked about, like our grandparents, they voted. Our parents, they voted. I remember as a kid. Like, sitting there with my parents until I got too old. They were like, he can't stand the booth with you. That's weird. But for the yeah. longest, I used to stand go there the and watch my Right. They hand out that little sticker, and I was like, one day I'm going to get my yep, little sticker. I had a sticker. Like, like they give me a sticker. Couldn't tell me nothing. Um, like, that's, that's the and stuff that we be, do. I think, and I, I know that you're right about that, because it used to be an event. It used to be a really big thing, especially in black communities. Like, going out to vote was like going to a, a tailgate almost. Like, you knew the whole community was going to be out there. Folks had on the election T-shirts. The man pulled up. The barbecue grill was out there selling plates. Folks was parking lot pimping, just playing music outside. Well, I was like, is that a Texas thing? Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm from Miami. I just live. Oh, in oh okay, y'all. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's like, a southern. Thing. I was like, we well, we ain't put know, up the grill, but like we, we. I mean, we do that for little league football. Well, it's, it's probably also it's, still like seventy five degrees in November for y'all. So, oh yeah, always, <laughs> always. So it was. Everything was an event, and I remember going to when it became my turn to vote. Finally, going to the um, precinct, and it was like a ghost town. Like you said, I got in. It took it didn't even take me seven minutes to get up to um, to vote. Like I literally took me maybe two to three. Um, my first time voting though, it took me a little, it, it, it took me a little while. I've been voting for a while now. Um, I do all of my local. Um, elections and things of that nature. But when I turned 18, I was still in college, of course, and my voting precinct, because I was a student at Clark Atlanta University, shameless plug for CAU, um, my voting precinct was at Morehouse College. So, uh, you know, all of the black um, the black young scholars, we were all in there, especially like first-time voters. We were rocking. We had a great time. But at that time, folks was always taking, also taking pictures of their ballots and putting it on Instagram. So it was a whole shutdown of that, too. But it was a movement. It was a feel. So even from that moment, and that was back in 2011, I think, 2010, 2000, when was that? 12, 2012. Ooh, look at me. 2012, uh, when we voted for Obama's second term. Um, that was my first time voting, and I got a chance to help put the nation's first black president back into office. That was the feeling. That was the movement. I don't know I know it had a lot to do with who was running, but I, I think it also had a lot to do with, like you said, us just being willing to get up, get out, and get active and do something. Because we're going we gonna to complain about it regardless. So might as well take an active 
part in it and at least see how close you can get to help you make change. Um, and that's I a also, part of the responsibility that the schools have too. Like we think about yeah. curriculum and, and this is going back to the so conversation to the about question. the system and the mm-hmm. way that there are so many parts to this. Like how, what do we teach and why we don't spend time in our curriculum actually engaging in a full understanding of the electoral process and why a vote matters and how a vote translates into the results that we see every day. Like I yeah. taught 12th grade for four years. Granted, I taught English, but one of my closest homies was the history and government teacher. And so I would always sit in those classes to be able to talk to him about the fact that like, as somebody who has worked on campaigns pretty much his entire life, like I worked on President Obama's first campaign. Like I, I voted for him the first time. I, I shook his hand when he came to my college and spoke because I was the campus coordinator for his campaign. Like those are things I'll never forget. But like we aren't indoctrinating students with the idea that this is a part of your responsibility, yeah. not just like a thing that you can do if it's if you want to. Like, nope, no, 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 no. Like citizenship, right. There's there is a there is a real responsibility to being a citizen. And we don't teach that. Like, we don't teach we don't. civics and the idea that, like, being a part of this community the, the idea has certain of responsibilities. We don't and teach so the idea of citizenship. And we how... can't be surprised that we get these results. Yeah. Yeah, but we also, um, we don't teach the idea of citizenship and how important citizenship really is and how citizenship itself was a fight at one point. And... You know, that, again, is something that people take, I guess, I wouldn't want to say take for granted because I don't even think necessarily being a U.S. citizen is like that great of a thing anymore. Um, now that I've that now that now I've I've been awakened out of my sleep, I'm kind of just like, ooh, where's Marcus Garvey when you need him? Um, like, can we go to Wakanda or something? Uh, <laughs> but citizenship is also extremely, um, an, extreme, an extremely valuable lesson that I learned about when coming up in like, you know, lower school. Um, and it really, it really made me want to be that, um, that individual, that man, that, that, um, that adult who was voting and who was active in my community and who had a voice. Um, and that carried over to all of my years in school. Like I was always a part of like electoral processes, like in-house at the school, things of that nature, got to Clark Atlanta and really, um, it really um, just grew my um, experience within electoral processes, leading the university's uh, voting efforts in 2012 and just doing a whole lot of different things, being civically engaged with the NAACP, doing some work with the National Urban League, just a lot of different things. Um, and I took on all of that because I felt like it was my responsibility. But my schooling is what facilitated that ideology that I even governed my life off of. And everybody knew that I was going to do it that I was going to be a part. Like if, if nobody else knew what was going on or how to get things done or how to register to vote or whatever, whatever, they knew it was me. And that was my responsibility. And I tried to provide that voice and vision um, to my students. Like we had a conversation and it's probably in lieu of me just knowing that you and I were going to be speaking today. I had a conversation with my second graders about the importance of their voice and the different ways that their voice translates and how a different forms that their voice comes through. So, you know, I teach reading and writing. So, of course, we talked about voice through writing. But I also started making the conversation, making the conversation, excuse me, more centric to the climate of our world and politics and things of that nature. I speak about, um, I speak about Barack Obama very often to them. They know that's one of my favorite people on the face of this earth. Um, 
and I speak with him very often, and we also t um, talk about like his quotes and I've coined like his ideologies and things. And there's a lot of books and a lot of literature about um, President Obama in my classroom on a second grade level for them to engage in. So I think the conversation or the responsibility that I've taken on even as an adult in education was to build conversation. I'm not trying to build a biased conversation, but that just happens to be someone who I have an affinity for. But building the conversation and, and creating the, uh, the breadth of knowledge for them to even explore and look into the idea of citizenship and responsibility and change and then see it represented by someone like the president of the United States who happens to be someone who looks like them. I, I, I always get chills when I remember that my students at the age of seven and eight today were only born about 2011, 2012. And when they think of the office of the president, their first visual recollection, I believe, would be that of a black man. I think there also exists as a part of a generation who takes this responsibility seriously because of what they got a chance to see and what they get a chance to, to, um, to be a part of as they grow older. Um, the millennial movement and government and politics and societal and global change. Um, this in technology and how technology is gonna transform our world and hopefully for the better in more ways than not. I, I get excited about that. So I think the responsibility aspect of this whole idea of civic engagement, voting, social justice, I think it's coming back. And I think we're the ones who are facilitating it because we saw like, yo, this world is jacked up. And many people already admit, like our parents' generation, they were good, they weren't great, and they honestly didn't necessarily care to be. Or they, and, you know, they had a lot of odds stacked against them as well the world and society was at a decline, you know, in a way that we had never seen or experienced before. Um, but yeah, again, I, I sit in the midst of a spirit that, that, is, that is overflowing with lots of anticipation and excitement about the future and just what's gonna happen. Um, but also lots of angst because I'm just a realist as well. Like I know what's happening now and I know what it can turn into and transform into overnight if 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 necessary you know so ooh, ooh. take your time pastor yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm off my i'm, I'm off my soapbox now but <laughs> sterling i am extremely glad that we got the opportunity to um spar a little bit over this topic um social justice as i just unveiled um uh, you know just it just happened to come on out um, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. So that's why I'm so drawn to the fellowship. And I'm very serious about coming back next year as a speaker. <laughs> but, I, 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 yeah, we need to talk. Um, got you. I got some stories to tell. Got some stories to tell. But I want to give you the opportunity to leave with our listeners anything that you feel you didn't get a chance to touch on or say in the conversation or anything that you just want them to harp on, think on, reflect on, remember you by. Oh, well. I was like, I'm just getting warmed up. So the things I left on the table are, phew, we could be here all night. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah. I will say, again, like education is social justice work. Social justice work is education. If we are not mm -hmm. ensuring that our next generation is equipped to understand the systems that are currently at play and currently stacked against them, 
and ways to navigate and liberate themselves from those systems, then we just simply remain oppressors in those systems. Uh, and so if you are choosing to really be about that life, as they like to say, then you need to choose to be about ensuring that our kids have the best in front of them. And that includes black men um, and that you are giving them the tools to be able to choose their own success and to build their own story. Uh, and so that means that we have to reject the system that's been placed on us before. And we have to be bold and willing to step away from some of those things, despite what we've been taught. Uh, so it's going to take some unlearning. It's going to take some practice. It's going to take some mistakes. Uh, but if you're really about making sure that our kids get what they deserve, you're down for that fight. And you know that it's ultimately going to make you and them better for it. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for tuning into the third installment of teach him podcast this is your boy marco sp davis and we just heard from the incomparable okay sterling grimes my dear brother um he's encouraging everyone to go out and be active become engaged and vote most importantly remember this message is from me and sterling if you haven't heard it you're gonna hear it now voteless people is a hopeless people remember that don't let that die. You need to know that. So get out there. Vote. We're out of here. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round. Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round. Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round. Black boy, black girl, you made the world go round.